Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, our friend Professor Dorian Fraser, also known as DJ Snack Daddy, is joining us to talk about emotional sobriety, 12-step principles, and the place of trauma and shame in the nexus. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi. Toute la journée, man, it goes. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour. So welcome, DJ. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so this is another, um, episode of fucking canceled. That is, um, a cancel club episode. And that's one of the episodes where we bring some of our dear friends to the show to chat with us. And so we're really, um, excited to have DJ with us here today. Um, DJ, do you want to just like introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners? Sure. Um, I am DJ Fraser is my name and I'm an art historian. I am a professor and I write and I curate things and I sometimes write stories and I'm sober. And I'm old. I'm an old. I'm an official old. You see the gray at my temple? I mean, I have more gray than you. Shut up. <laughs> I agree too. I just shaved the size of my head so you don't know. I definitely have the most gray hair. Um, but yeah, DJ is uh, one of these queer elders. Is that is that true? You want to comment on that? I feel as though um, millennial emeritus would be a better okay. a better Absolutely. title. Absolutely, yeah. As, you know, as an outsider millennial, I'm I'm like one of those zennials. Is okay. that the term for it? Um, I remember pre-internet. I mean, so do I, yeah. But I don't like to be called an elder, not yet. I mean, it's weird. I get called an elder, too, and I'm, like, almost 34, and I'm like, guys, like... Maybe you're just an older. It's like, I don't I don't actually think of myself as an elder either, but it's weird because we get called that. I'm sure you've been called an elder. Oh, 100%. Yeah. My, my dad vibes... Uh, I mean, your dad vibes are very strong. <laughs> you called me your dad last week. I mean, so. yeah. DJ is also my father figure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, cool. So thanks for introducing yourself. Um, and I guess um, we like to start Cancel Club episodes by asking the question, have you ever canceled anyone? Um, that's interesting. Uh, I have definitely participated in some internet pylons in the past. I believe there was a period of time between 2011 and 2013 where I actually went on Twitter and okay. did things there. Um, and I think that was a lot of the kind of Jessica Valenti's or Lena Maxwell era kind of old, old style, old style cancellations. I actually saw this video about 2012 memes a while ago okay. and they looked ancient, like <laughs> get out the Babylonian clay tablet. <laughs> we are like the fat, like white writing, like oh, at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Writing yeah. on the top, writing on the bottom. Yeah. That's oh it. yeah. 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 Okay. So maybe you you had some minor um, involvement in cancellations. Yeah, I don't think I've ever um, technically started the call for a cancellation, okay. but I know I know I've been involved peripherally for real. Yeah, and it's interesting how people can just kind of like passively be involved in cancellations. Yeah, for sure. Um, even if you're not taking the initiative. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, great, good answer. 
Um, it's important information I mean, for us. Add it to the dossier. Yeah. 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 And you know, as we've said many times, we love the counselors among us, you know? They're welcome here. You're welcome here. Um, and so, okay, so DJ, like Jay and I, is like a 12-stepper, um, which we have the permission to share. Um, so we're not breaking any anonymity there. Um, and so, like, as sober people who practice 12 steps, we think a lot about how the principles that we learn in 12-step programs inform our thinking around a lot of um, the topics that we talk about on this podcast. So like how, how do we think about cancel culture and the nexus um, from a 12-step perspective and how do the 12 steps sort of like form um, our own approaches to answering some of the questions that like cancel culture um, sort of pretends to answer. Um, so we wanted to talk today about some concepts and like ideas that are regularly talked about in 12 step programs and then just sort of like chat about them amongst ourselves and, and see what comes up. Yeah. Fuck yeah. So before we do that, I just wanted to say, which we've said in the past, but I think it's worth saying again, that none of us are speaking on behalf of any 12 step program. Um, yeah, we're not spokespeople. Um, these are not official 12 step opinions or anything. These are just, three 12 steppers talking shit and, you know, sharing our own opinions and we speak for ourselves. So I guess first I'll put out the question, um, to both of you and I guess to all of us, um, like how do we think that being in 12 steps has, um, changed our relationship to the nexus and the cancel culture? Oh, me first. Yeah. Um, me first DJ. Well, honestly, I think it's only because I've been around the rooms for uh, a few days, a few 24 hours, <laughs> which is something that people who have been around the room say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I've been in the program a bit of time and working the steps and working all of the principles in that has given me an ability to step outside uh, a reactivity that is mm. uh, pure lashing out against people I see who have harmed me or who I, um, assume have harmed me because of my emotional reactions. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's really, that's kind of a switch. I also, I also really do think that getting older has, mm -hmm. um, has allowed me to get a bit more perspective and that kind of not, not relaxation around my principles. In fact, my principles have gotten stronger, but just my ability to handle that there are more kinds of people in the world than just me. Mm -hmm. I don't need everybody to align with my point of view in a perfect way so that I can like love them. And, and, you know, like you don't have to like everybody, mm -hmm. but you do have to kind of love everybody. Mm -hmm. And you know, it sounds cheesy as fuck, but a classic 12 step wisdom there. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And Absolutely. it's annoying, you know, like yeah. when I came into the room, Jay knows this. So when I met Jay <laughs> one million years ago, um, oh my God, it was, yeah, it was a good story. <laughs> I was so angry and I was so mad that I had to be part of this stupid club, mm -hmm. like that would have me as a member, you know, as a, as a, somebody who was trying to recover from alcoholism and drug addiction. And I hated it. And I hated the fact that it, is a bit sectarian in some of its old language mm -hmm. and defaults to a Christian God and has like, you know, basically male universalist principles. And I thought that going in there as a PhD student 
like working in gender and sexuality and being trans, um, <laughs> that I couldn't handle it. And right. you know what? I definitely could. <laughs> and it turns out it saved my life. Yeah. So I think that my ability to accept and work within the principles of the steps, because I had that gift of desperation. We talk about that a lot in the program. Mm -hmm. It's like, I wanted so badly to live. Mm -hmm. I wanted so badly to live as like a trans human being that could handle myself that I gave in. I was like, you know what? Fuck semantics for a while. We'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I also remember when DJ first came into the program, DJ was just like, like every like six seconds was just like straight cis white men like 100 <laughs> percent, you know just like could not handle the fact that there was there's like old white guys everywhere um now it's every 30 seconds yeah yeah no i mean dj's like changed a lot it's like really funny um and great you know i don't know for me i think about how one of the things that the 12 steps forces you to do that is so fucking uncomfortable and and is very at odds with a lot of like cancel culture shit is it forces you to look at your own part in things mm-hmm. um including when people have like objectively been shitty to you yeah um and you, you have to like, uh, like look at your own part which is like so contrary to a lot of like identitarian impulses that like when I first came into the program, I was like, this is like actively reactionary, Mm -hmm. you know, this entire concept that I have to think about what I might've done when someone was bad to me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like really, really hard to wrap your head around and takes a lot of work, I think. And, and really does take a sort of like surrender where you're just sort of like, I need this so bad that I'm just going to like, let go of like what I think for a second and sort of like go along with this to see what happens. Um, and for me, it was like a really profound experience when I started getting good at that, you know? And I mean, this is like, it's kind of a funny example to use, but I'll use it anyway. Like when, um, like one time during one of my many cancellations, uh, when I went, I went and talked to my sponsor about it, he was sort of like, you know, and I was like, these people they are like treating me so unfairly. Like they're saying that I said things that I didn't say, or they did things I didn't do, whatever. And my sponsor was like, why are you hanging out with these people all the time? <laughs> Like, like yeah. why is it that you're surrounding yourself with people who continue to demonstrate that they're going to act like this? You know, he's like, you know, there's other fucking people in the world. Right. And I'm like, fuck, you know, um, because, mm-hmm. because it is true to a certain extent, you know, I was like putting myself in the path of people who made it clear that they do act like this. Right. Um, and it's like, it doesn't make it okay that they treated me the way that they did, but um, it does mean that I had some agency over it. Right? Yeah. And, and that like recognizing that agency is horrifying because you're like, fuck, like I might have to like do something about this, but it's also intensely liberating because it's like, I can do something about this, you know? Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause I think in so much of like the nexus agency is downplayed, like we're encouraged to sort of identify with like a victim position and to like really downplay the agency that we do have. And I think the steps really encourages us to claim our agency and to like look at where we do have power to do things mm-hmm. um it's interesting because for me i was really different than both of you when i came in i was fucking like so ready um i was like first of all there's cookies like that's lunch 
that's lunch, you know? Um, and I was like, also, I was like, this coffee, man, it's free. Like, that's <laughs> fucking great, man. I would just be, I'd be like at the cookie and coffee table taking like, you know, 10 cookies because that was like my fucking, like, literally like a meal for me and like drinking these little cups of coffee. Um, and also, I was shook that, the, that all these people were being so nice to me, you know? Like, I was used to being treated so like disposably by like general society. I was such a sketchy person um, that like just like having random strangers, um, be fucking kind to me and welcoming to me was like so it was just so um you know overwhelmingly positive that like I really didn't have a lot of um critiques and I was like really willing to like take it all in um and like yeah like I had a sponsor that like really encouraged me to like imagine my spirituality how I wanted to so I was definitely the one saying like goddess in the serenity prayer and like never you know I never really experienced pushback for that Um, but yeah, I guess for me, like, it's just been such a huge dissonance, like being in a 12 step culture, um, where, yeah, like DJ was saying, like, we're really encouraged to, um, be tolerant of people who are different from ourselves and to like, you know, be kind and welcoming and like, um, yeah, to not, um, always focus on the negative and like, just like there's a lot of values where it's like really community based, where we're really like forgiving and welcoming, where we like look at our side of the street and like all of that. When I go into like the woke world, um, there's just such a huge dissonance because I'm basically being taught the opposite that I should be condemning, judgmental, um, sometimes openly cruel and vicious to people, um, that people are like defined, um, by the worst things that they've ever done. Whereas like in 12 step culture, like we're, we're literally taught that we are not defined by the worst things that we've ever done. And there's so much room for like growth and for healing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Do you have more to say about that? Well, I don't know. I just remember, uh, you made me think about this, like the situation where there was a guy who was around the room was a long time ago who was kind of actively, uh, um, he was very unpleasant. I'll just put it that way. It's really hard to be around. Um, he was, you know, he was like a white guy, um, who acted real weird, was like quite aggressive sometimes, kind of creeped on girls sometimes, that kind of thing. Right. Oh, I remember that. I remember that. The nooner. Well, it may or may not have been in a meeting that may or may not have been at noon. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but this guy, like it, it was, whatever, it was difficult to deal with him, you know? And again, it was sort of this situation where like my, um, my inclination at that time was to be like this fucking like straight motherfucker, like coming in here, like acting all aggressive, like toxic masculinity, this, that, and the other. And my sponsor was like, this dude needs to be at these fucking meetings. Yeah. And this guy's like, he's fucked up, man. Like he, he has help. to be at these meetings. Like if you could like help him in any way, help him because he's like acting all fucked up, you know, and there's like, there's gotta be a reason for that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which again, I think is like basically the opposite inclination of a lot of like woke world kind of stuff, you know? And it doesn't mean that the, you know, like young women that he's like trying to creep on or whatever have to be the ones to do that. You no. know, it means that actually people who look more like me should be the ones to do that. Right. Um, but to sort of like try to make friends with him and stuff. And honestly, like I never tried to make friends with him and actually I, I somewhat regret that. And I almost got in a fight with him one time. Um, and he's not really around anymore, but, uh, the point is that like many years later, like now I understand more what my sponsor was trying to say with that. You Mm -hmm. know, he's like, it's not always easy to be around people who need help. You know, in fact, very frequently it's not. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's like, it's actually so much harder to like be kind to people. Like condemnation is easier, you know, Mm. um, but less effective. 
Okay, so um, the first um, kind of like 12-step concept that I wanted to talk about is humility. So, DJ, why don't you break humility down a little bit for our listeners? Explain mm. explain what that means. Tell us, Professor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really funny, though, because like with this with this elder title, I often feel as though there's like a lot of acceptance of that and like um like responsibilities that come with that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm supposed to have all this all this knowledge. Yeah. But part of my humility as a professor, mm-hmm. as somebody who teaches like younger folks and sometimes older folks and and whatever, uh, that's folks with an X. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but as somebody who teaches other people, one of the things that's in my humility to, to say all the, all the time is that if I don't have an answer to a question, I don't know. Yeah. And not letting titles like elder professor or even a millennial emeritus, as I like to say, yeah. um, that doesn't get in the way of me being a lifelong learner. And that is part of my practice of humility, but it's also part of a practice of staying within my integrity as a person because learning how to be, you know, an anti-racist and like an anti-ageist and, and somebody who actually uh, incorporates like radical teaching philosophies into university settings when I can. Yeah is the willingness to learn. And that's part of my humility specifically as like, um, somebody who has had a really good and a really terrible life Mm -hmm. can do. Right. And that's part of my practice every day is to know what is mine to learn and what is also the responsibility of other people. Right. And I think that humility is really connected to a very specific thing in, in the program that we call right sizeness. Yeah. And it means you know, like if we take an example of right sizeness, it's like super, super ego, like feeling like really inflated or whatever, or feeling the exact opposite, feeling like mm-hmm. everything is the worst because of you and you are nothing and you are a piece of shit. Both of those are examples of not being right size yeah. because really in the big wide world that we do live in, we are one person who does not control the rotations of the earth nor the other planets and we can't control the feelings of other people. Yeah. We can't control what they think about us. Yeah. And all we can do is change and work on ourselves. It is literally the only thing I can do if I'm mad at somebody who has harmed me or who I am resentful towards in some way because of something that has either transpired between us or that I have perceived has transpired Mm -hmm. between us is pray for them because like, like me, they are also sick and suffering. Mm -hmm. And this is like language that's very well known within, you know, 12 step programs, but, you know, viewing somebody as somebody who needs to work on themselves and who needs to like connect to their spirituality and their self. That's a, that's a huge thing for me as well. Cause you know what? I don't control the world. And so much of my alcoholism and addiction was about trying to just like, just hold on for dear fucking life mm-hmm. to this false idea of control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so I much good shit there, DJ. <laughs> yeah. They say in the, in the program, uh, there's this saying that like an addict is, um, uh, an egomaniac with no self-esteem. Is that how it goes? Yeah. Something like that. Um, yeah. and I think it's hilarious and super true. Um, and it's also like f- funny, like old timey language. Cause that's like what the program is. But, um, but yeah, because, and it's interesting because like the egomaniac and the person with no self-esteem are both not right-sized, right-sized. 
They don't have right sizedness. Um, I like to put the little X on you over the, the e right sized. Um, but uh, yeah, because if you are an egomaniac, you're obviously like, you know, totally like narcissistic and obsessed with how other people see you and like cannot feel. You literally cannot feel good unless you think that everyone is sort of like um, looking up to you and praising you and all this kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, if you have no self-esteem, you're you're un yeah. You, I mean, they, they go hand in hand, right? Like you're you're unable to like do that for yourself. You can't praise yourself. You can't um, underst understand yourself as being you know unequal to other people, right? Um, and I think that I don't know. For me, it's been really important to try to. Um, not be a fucking egomaniac with no self-esteem, you know, and like you build self-esteem by performing esteemable acts, right? And you, um, and then you become able to sort of like be your own, um, to like praise yourself, you know, but also be your own critic um, and just be a lot more like sustainable that way and not require, uh, you, you don't need, you don't require other people to do it for you all the time, which means you're not trying to fucking control them all the time. Mm -hmm. Because if you need other people to build you up, then you, you have a strong urge and a strong incentive to control them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny, like a lot of the people that I've sponsored and I've also struggled with this myself when I was first coming in and stuff like, um, they, um, there's this idea, yeah, that like that that not having humility means like being really arrogant or like being really full of yourself and like being really like, you know, um obsessed with yourself, but in a positive way. And like a lot of the people that that I sponsored and work with had the opposite issue where it was like feeling like shit about yourself in a disproportionate yeah. way. Um, and not kind of realizing that, that that's also being self-obsessed. Um, and also sort of like yeah, just, I mean, it was just explained to me that like, if, if I was coming into a meeting and like, you know, was like feeling really self-conscious and thinking about, you know, what everybody else is thinking about me, like I'm still thinking about myself. Um, yeah. and like, that was like kind of mind blowing. Cause I think people who are really hard <clears throat> on themselves don't think of themselves as obviously, um, as like self-obsessed or something. Um, so humility is like, yeah, just being like, I'm just like, a regular person here. I'm like no better, no worse than anybody else here. Um, and it's interesting, like there's a couple threads that like I'm pulling from what both of you had said, like, cause there's the way that that connects with like control and responsibility and like what actually is ours. Like, what do we really have the capacity control to control? And like, what really is our responsibility? And I think within the nexus, like there's this like huge thing that happens. That's like really confusing in which huge systemic issues are like downloaded onto the individual. Right. And this is where you have people making these sort of like self-flagellating internet posts, kind of condemning themselves for being of a various identity group and like taking responsibility for like these huge systems of domination personally, you know? Right. And it's like, you're not personally responsible actually for like an entire huge system of domination. Like, you know, you have responsibilities for like the ways that you may enact or not enact that in your own life to the best of your ability. But like, it's sort of like wildly like out of touch with like proportion um, to sort of take personal responsibility for like a huge system that is like historical and yeah. like, I apologize for misogyny. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and I see this kind of thing all the time and we're actually like encouraged to do that. Um, but I think it's not actually very humble. Like it doesn't actually show that like, you know, we, we can resist these things, but like we aren't actually personally responsible for them as individuals. Yeah. And to center ourselves, in that argument is actually also a betrayal of this idea that um, people who are 
you know, descendants of these systems of oppression and power that's kind of almost doing the opposite, which we're supposed to do is like, we're supposed to recoil to the sides or whatever, Mm -hmm. but like we are invited into the middle to take responsibility. Right. And I think that not only is that really self-aggrandizing in a lot of ways, it also lets people off the hook for real actions that they perform in daily life. It's like, well, I've done this thing and I've owned up to my responsibility. Now I can just go back to my life, especially if people are feeling that huge sense of rejection, like they've lost everything, like they've suffered so much for it. Yeah. I think that people will be less likely to enact you know, like things like anti-sexist and anti-racist ways of being into their daily lives. Right. Yeah. And I think it's like anti-solidarity. It's like, instead of just like seeing how, I don't know, we are all caught up in these systems and like, how can we actually like work together for all of our best interests? It's like, I don't know, kind of just like a weird blame game where people are like, I'm just going to take all of this on. It's like, actually, maybe we could work together on taking it on. Um, there's a surface script, right? Yeah. It's like you do this thing, you apologize, you deplatform for <laughs> a certain amount of time or whatever. And then it's, it's like a respectful silence, you know? And I've been talking with friends about this for a while, not just you two. Okay. Surprise. All right. I do have some other friends. <laughs> <laughs> Dwindling. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It is what it is. It is what it is. That's what happens. Um, but you know, like I've been talking to friends and, and even though, you know, like I discuss specifics and I'm, I'm very open about it now, even though it's very funny almost, you know, I have this new sponsor who I've been like downloading all this stuff to. I'm just like, Oh my God, do they like think I'm the worst, you know? And then I take myself out of that because they're actually performing service, yeah. you know, for their own sobriety by being my sponsor. But I do have, I do have this person that are like, well, you know, like they have to do this and then they have to apologize and then they have to, you know, silence themselves for a while. And then they can like make a re-entry, you know, like trepidatious. Yeah. I'm like, but what if that doesn't, that doesn't do anything that contributes to a continuation of this, like, screaming internet void which is not actually acting in an anti-racist manner you know in this world yeah absolutely and i mean i think yeah you're like touching on like the difference between like performing change and like the actual work of like deep transformation and change um and i think yeah like council culture you know the most it's going to do is is get people to perform um you know, being responsible in order to like avoid punishment, um, or lessen punishment that's directed towards them. Whereas like the 12 step model doesn't punish people. And so it actually opens up the possibility for people to do the work of like real transformation, um, and really trying to figure out how to be responsible actors in the world. So for sure. Can I just say one more thing about yeah. this? Like yeah. I remember at a certain point, like in, in the height of my woke years, um, I was like working on my steps and I was like sort of trying to figure out like ways to like make amends or, well, I was, I was looking at, um, character defects for myself, like my own character defects. And I was including on this list, like all these things, like the fact that I'm like white mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that, you know? And my sponsor was like, that's not a fucking character defect. Yeah. That's like a characteristic right. about you, you know, yeah. um, over which you don't have any control, you know? Um, and he was also saying how, like, if basically like, you thinking that you personally can sort of like make amends for like white supremacy and it's going to make any fucking difference is incredibly narcissistic. Yeah. This is like a system that touches the lives of like billions of people in these like really profound 
very difficult to understand ways like not uh, not difficult to understand and like how they impact people but like why they work you know and mm-hmm. like the roots and like yeah. how to how to deal with them the and stuff like that nature in general for sure man the, the deep historical roots and like the fact that you know they, they impact people you know based on like their employment and like differential health income outcomes and like um you know educational attainment and like all these kinds of different stuff you know it's mm-hmm. like it's a very complicated issue and like me yeah. <laughs> making, making amends for it is not like that doesn't make any fucking sense and it's not right-sized you yeah. know he was just like you're like a single person like what you can do is treat people kindly in your life and work towards a world in which people are like less touched by like racism or whatever yeah. it is you know yeah. um and i always that stuck with me i thought it was really important you know yeah that's beautiful yeah. yeah and it offers you agency yeah and it offers you a way to actually change things you know like having having a, f- a few years you know it's like I feel as though I can operate within my own little sphere of influence, whether it's, you know, like how many students this semester, like my friend group or things that I write and within that sphere of influence, which I can grow or I can shrink or whatever, as it fluctuates, I can really do work that not only helps me grow as like a writer and a teacher, it can help. Maybe it will help somebody else see something that they can do as well. For sure. And it's a 100% positive experience for me to be able to grow and to learn yeah and i think it 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 relates to the whole um serenity prayer thing too of like trying to figure out what you actually have power over right yeah yeah. and it's like i do not have power over like white supremacy or like misogyny or something but i have power over um my own actions and if i treat people kindly or not you know yeah and also like this the humility framework of like humility framework means we're not looking for good guys and bad guys it means like we're, we're all people and we're just trying to do our best and like we're all trying to like live in our integrity as best as possible right and i think in the nexus there's like huge like binaries of good and bad um and like I just thought it was something really funny because there's this there's this like a current like narrative that's bubbling up in the Nexus right now yeah. is this thing where they're like we are all toxic right okay you know what I mean but some of us like are able to be accountable and it's this like weird like like devil world like yeah. in, yes, inversion of this yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and like yeah exactly whereas it's like for me it's like I I don't know I think people are like trying their best and I want to see the the good in people and I want to like encourage people to to like step into their integrity. Right. And like, I believe people are capable of that. But I think that like, when we use this framework of like good and bad, um, and like when people really feel that like whatever they're going to say is like going to be sort of slotting them into one or two categories, it like makes people operate from this place of shame, um, and fear. And then it's like a super, not a good place for learning, you know? And like, I don't know, I was just thinking about a friend of mine who, you know, is coming into social justice world stuff and was just talking to me about how like she's white and how she is like super uncomfortable talking about race and racism. And she feels like anxious about it and nervous about it. And like, she was just saying that like, she felt like she could talk to me about it and she wasn't afraid of like, whatever, making a mistake or something, um, that I was going to condemn her or like publicly shame her or something. And that like, I was a safe person for her to like talk to and learn with. And I'm like, honestly, ma'am, like, I wish we could all just kind of enact that as much as possible um, so that people feel like they can do the learning that they want to do. Totally. But yeah, and learning, learning happens in an environment in which you feel safe to do so, right? It's like being able to open up your mind to new concepts is not necessarily just something that happens when you walk into a university lecture hall or an online classroom or even high school, whatever. Yeah. It's, um, it's something that is cultivated by your peers around you and as well by your teachers. Like I remember 
back when, back, back when I was in, you know, like first year university and stuff, it's like to go into an art history classroom, you go, you sit, you read a book, you hear a lecture, and then you have this giant test where you have to memorize the titles, dates, artists, and like a few facts about that. And then you're quizzed on whatever. And what you get is a surface level of information for each piece of work, but you do get kind of a chronology. Yeah. Whereas I teach now, um, in a way that I tell my students like what kinds of questions I'm going to be asking if they're going to be long answer or short answer. And then like, and then they're more attuned to this idea that learning about the context of the work and learning about the artists themselves and what situation they're coming from is going to give them a much better understanding that they can carry with them later. Right. So this framework of learning, as an open and non-scary idea yeah. automatically allows you to be more at ease and actually absorb information. Yeah. And I mean, it's true on like a neurological level as well, that like when we are literally in our fight flight nervous system, like the prefrontal cortex is like not operating at its full capacity. Right. So people are actually not able to take in new information and learn when they're like super, super scared that they're going to be canceled for like saying the wrong thing. Um, okay. So that was like a long, um, very, we went on various tangents about humility, but I like that. I feel like that's definitely what we're in for. You know? Yeah. Um, so the other thing, DJ, you already kind of touched on this. You touched on many great things. You kind of like led us into some of my other questions, but I wanted to talk. This is not something that they actually say in 12 step programs, but I just like to phrase it this way. Um, the concept of loving your haters. Um, and like in 12 step programs, you mentioned this, there's like this thing called the resentment prayer. Um, and Basically, in 12-step programs, we are actually encouraged to pray for the people that we resent um, and to actually wish for them um, everything that we would want for ourselves. And this includes, like, even people who have caused us harm, even people who, like, really piss us off. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I just wanted to ask you both to talk a little bit about your experience with this kind of prayer. Like what it means to you and like how effective it's been for you. Cause also I think I feel like in, in the nexus and in, in woke world, I feel like a lot of people would be offended by this suggestion. Like it's like really would be seen as absurd. Um, and like almost like people might even say it's like violent or something. Um, yeah. And so I'm like, you know, but for me it was a hugely transformative thing. So maybe you can like touch on a little bit about that. Being open to compassion is something that, uh, you know, I encourage with people who I sponsor in the program and, and, and something that I had to do, a lot myself, you know, it's like getting compassionate. It, it starts with yourself. Like I had to, when I went through my first, um, eight and nine, uh, in the, in the steps, I, when I was thinking about people who I had harmed and, and thinking about making amends, I was going through with this amazing, um, trans elder, like a real elder. Okay. Real elder. And she was like, you know what? The first person on that list has to be yourself. And that was wild to try and have compassion towards myself when I so fully could not stand my literal skin, my body, anything about me because I had been so capital B bad or Mm. like, you know, like so out of line or unforgivable. Mm -hmm. Um, that was really wild. But after I kind of came to grips with the idea that I maybe could have compassion towards myself, it became a lot easier to think about other people you know, in, in the same light, you know, it's like, we're both that, that right sizeness again. It's like, we're both human beings. We're not better or worse than each other. And that would 
obviously that, you know, that's really offensive to some people and some people, you know, who might not be in woke world or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we're not encouraged to love other people to yeah. people who have done us wrong to people who we perceive have done us wrong. Yeah. And of course there are people in the world who are not great people Yeah, and they're sick Yeah, and they're suffering. <laughs> Like that's the realness of it. And even if you think about it in terms of like Buddhism or like a lot of meditation practice, when you practice like meta practice, you know, you think about people who you love, you think about people who you don't love, mm-hmm. who you're trying yeah. to just send your deep love to from across the world. Because, you know, whatever, I have a friend who practices with Donald Trump. Wow. Yeah. And they're deep. They're deep in the they're deep in the meditation. No, I'm like, whoa, that's two oh two. I mean, at least. And I think that Maybe grad level. Yeah. I feel like that's like five thousand level. Okay. Whoa. Yeah. Which is actually grad level. I will have to some universities are just wild about their coding. Let's just be real. <laughs> so I just I feel as though that kind of compassion when you encourage it, it's amazing. But you know what? Especially within like queer recovery, trans queer recovery. <laughs> There's a huge amount of pushback mm-hmm. and, you know, I've received some of it myself, you mm-hmm. know, and it was termed as gaslighting. Yeah. Um, when I offered that perhaps somebody could be compassionate towards a person who was, you know, taking up space in a way that they didn't want or whatever, because we do all deserve to be at that meeting, you know, like mm-hmm. I, and that's, that's the thing I say about AA all the time is that it's a motley crew and, we don't know who's going to be sitting beside us at a meeting. Yeah. And that's actually part of the best, the best part about AA. Yeah. I love it. I love going to weird meetings where I don't know people Yeah, and just like sharing some shitty coffee, <laughs> like full shade. I miss it. I miss that basement <laughs> coffee. Yo, I fucking miss it too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so do you want to share about loving your haters, Jay? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I wrote a little thing about loving my haters recently. I'm going to read a tiny bit of it, okay? Okay. So the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous warns me that while resentment may be the dubious luxury of normal people, for me it is poison. It also reminds me that to the precise extent that I permit the futility and unhappiness of resentment to dominate me, I squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. Page 66 of the fourth edition. Maybe more to the point, it suggests that the people who have wronged me may be spiritually sick and that I should extend to them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that I would cheerfully extend it to a sick friend. Page 67. And like for me, this is basically, it's like I start, whatever, I start thinking about the haters. I get real mad about it. I'm super vexed and pissed off and triggered. Um, And then I have to think about the fact that like these people who are like, I don't know, whatever, like maybe like on their smartphone, like, you know, writing something nasty about someone else um, are like, I don't know, probably like at home alone, like hungry in the dark, like haven't slept properly, like have fucking crumbs in their bed, like are so depressed. They can't get out of bed, whatever, you know, Um, they're probably like uh, obsessively checking their phone, like caught in the fucking, um, ludic loop, like feedback cycle of social media, you know, they probably are experiencing like a ton of like self hatred that they're like, um, pushing down really hard, you know, and, and like sort of like sublimating onto other people. Um, and I don't know for a fact that all that is happening, but I can easily see it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is one of the ways in which I can have compassion for them, you know, by being like, this is like not a a well person. Like, I don't think that people who are doing super good, um, 
participate in activities like that. You know, um, it, it just it's not really like a healthy thing to do. It means that you like aren't really concentrating on your own shit, you know, not keeping your own side of the street clean. You're like, you know, taking other people's inventory as we say in the program. Um, and also you are, yeah, just like whatever participating in this sort of clearly unhealthy and, and vindictive pastime. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like a hobby. And some people like literally make it into a hobby where they like, will start like a whole like weird account for like calling out some like person on the internet or yeah. something, you know? Um, and just obsessively like scour the internet for like something that some, some Instagram yeah. figure has like said. Right. Um, and it's fucking weird and, and, and not healthy. And I feel bad for those people. Right. Um, it's like a huge waste of time. And it's like, it's, it's bad for me to resent them because I'm squandering my hours, you know, but they're squandering their fucking hours. Yeah. Those people, you yeah. know, they're wasting their fucking time. Right. Um, and if you're like consumed with hatred, if I'm consumed with hatred, it's like, it's really bad for me, but them being consumed with hatred is also really bad for them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can, I can pity them for that. And I can also like have compassion for them because I understand why people uh, fall into, um, a state like that. And I like wish them well. I really, really hope that they have at some point in their life, you know, the kind of like, um, support and the kind of like self-esteem that allows them to sort of like escape the, a, a trap like that, you know? Um, I mean, I think that's why a lot of people consider themselves lucky to be in 12 step programs, myself included. I was actually having a conversation with my partner about it and they're super supportive of, all of the programs in recovery and, and good because they've never seen me drunk and they don't want to, yeah. you know, like, um, yeah. it's, it's a really important thing, but sometimes they get stuck on the idea that I still call myself an alcoholic yeah. and I don't say that I've recovered from alcoholism. Right. And so like we had this whole conversation about it last night. And for me, it reminds me that I am only like one drink away from starting this whole loop again yeah. of resentment and and this kind of like vengeful feelings towards other people yeah because not only am i trying to control them with you know like no real access to any power there and like there i can't control anybody else but like we say in the program like i am drinking the poison and expecting the other person to die yeah you yeah. know like yeah. it's so destructive and i i I really, um, you know, I don't take pride in it so much, but I enjoy remembering exactly what it is that has gotten me to this place. And I'm in a good place and I have a good life. And I don't mind calling myself an alcoholic because I know that I'm, I'm ready to deal with it. And I'm in that place where I have self-esteem and I faced, you know, the things that I've done to other people and I've done things to other people. Mm -hmm. It's not like you know, we're people who haven't ever done anything wrong for sure. And it's, you know, it's the opposite of that, but we're willing to stand in our own, in our own mess, but also on like our sunny side of the street after we've cleaned it up. And it's really important. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think we like literally like a huge part of what we want to do is we want to help people be able to do that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, because, and the, kind of the entire point of our whole podcast and everything we're all about right now is trying to be saying like we're trying to say that i mean cancel culture or like this this sort of like bizarre politics of resentment will not help you yeah it will not help you with the things that you want to do it's it's not just that we think it's like wrong although we do think that it's wrong but we're also like it's not working and it's not good for you either it, it won't work yeah. and, and it's not good for you yeah. you know 
Um, it's not just like, we, we don't want you to like call us out or whatever. It's like, you're going to call us out if you're going to call us out. Like, yeah. you know, we can't control that. Yeah. It's that we don't think that it's good for you. Yeah. We think that it's literally bad for you because yeah, we've been there. Right. And we, we want to help. If you want our help, we want your friends to help you. You know, what do you think about loving your haters, Clementine? Um, okay, I have two things to say about this. Clementine struggles with loving their haters. I mean, okay, that was not what I was going to do. <laughs> Thank you. I have two things to say. Um, okay, the first thing that I want to say about this is that I think a huge resistance that comes up for a lot of people when they hear this kind of framework, um, and like I imagine a bunch of our listeners are probably struggling with this right now, is that people think that it means that you're not allowed to have boundaries, right? Mm. People think that it means... It's a great point. It yeah. means that... People think that it means that you have to have these people in your life. They think that it means that you sort of like have to allow yourself to be mistreated in an ongoing way. Um, that you just sort of like have to like let shit happen to you. And it doesn't mean that at all. No. Um, no way. In fact, like you should have healthy boundaries. You should... Um, you know, if you need to end relationships with people because they are consistently, um, breaking your boundaries or consistently treating you in a way that is like really bad for you, then you can and should end those relationships, you know? Um, but that doesn't mean that you have to hold on to the resentment, right? So like sometimes we really do need space from things. Um, sometimes we really need to say no to like the ways that, that people are acting towards us and that's totally fine. And we can do that and still, um, you know, pray for people, um, you know, at the same time. Right. And like one thing my, my first sponsor said to me, cause yes, it is true that I have a bit of trouble with this. And my, my first sponsor was like, you know, it's okay if you say not now, but just don't say not ever. And so like, if I'm not ready to sort of internally, and I don't even have to do it to that person, but to internally start to offer compassion, um, right now. And I still want to bitterly hold on to that resentment like I can, you know, like that's a choice that I can make, but I should at least keep the door open to the possibility of moving towards that compassion in the future. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say is that I've, um, I've actually, I've heard someone say this about me directly and obviously they don't know very much about me. Um, but I've heard this said generally as well, that kind of people who, um, put forward this kind of compassionate argument must not have had anything that serious happen to them. Or like, if you're willing to be forgiving, it's because like, you know, nothing that bad has happened to you, you know? Um, and so like the idea that like, I, um, only, am opposed to cancel culture because I've never had really fucked up shit happen to me. And if I had had really fucked up shit happen to me, I would understand why cancel culture is a good thing. And like, yeah, I just want to say for the record that that's fundamentally not true. Um, and like, you know, I've had really, really fucked up things happen to me, really violent, like extremely fucked up things happen to me in my life. And in fact, when I was coming into the program, when I was getting sober, I was like leaving a relationship. Um, I had like recently left a relationship that was like extremely, extremely violent. And during my early sobriety, you know, I was dealing with yeah, like stalking and like, um, really, uh, scary, uh, like fears around my safety because of this like really fucked up relationship. And like when, when I came in, like, you know, and I think a lot of people would find this kind of difficult to like imagine and might get, might get mad about this, but like my, my sponsor did encourage me to pray for my ex, you know, um, and to like wish for him, the things that I would want for myself, even though he had like literally put my life in danger and was like a really scary guy. Um, and you know, it wasn't like she gave me like an ultimatum or anything. I was like, if you don't do this, I won't be your sponsor. Or like, you have to do this to be in the program. It wasn't like that. It was like my choice, you know, but it was something that she encouraged. 
And like, it was actually, um, one of my first like really intense spiritual experiences that I had where like, I finally was like, okay, I'm going to pray for him. And I went to a park that I usually prayed in at night. Like every evening I would go to this park to pray in it. And I, I sat down and I like closed my eyes and I prayed for him to have, you know, safety and like freedom and health and healing and like all of these things that like I was, you know, wanting for myself. And when I opened my eyes, there was a little baby raccoon that was like right in front of me. Um, and like, I really took that as a sign for my higher power that like, this was like, you know, the right path for me. Um, and so, yeah, like, I think it is possible to get to that place, you know, even in cases and situations where really fucked up shit has happened. And I think that it was really good for me to get to that place where I was able to like wish him well, you know? Um, that being said, I of course still have like 100% strong boundaries and like, it isn't safe for me to like have him in my life. Um, yeah. And I mean, weirdly, I actually found it to be like, I'm having more trouble loving my haters now (laughs) than even in that like really serious situation. And I'm not exactly sure why that is. Um, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. (laughs) I mean, I think that, you know, I talked about this earlier too, but like when you come in at times, you do, you, you want to do anything. To it's true. Get the gift of desperation. And I think that that's actually part of the reason why, you know, uh, if you're dedicated to sobriety, like you can, you can put aside your intensely felt ideals, values, identity, politics, everything like that, especially within like queer, recovery because there is a growing like number of young queer people getting sober Mm -hmm. and it's amazing yeah because you know what we have a lot of trauma this (laughs) this is not absent from our quote-unquote community yeah and i think that um you know it is really hard for people who have traumatic experiences in their past to even see a way through that anger and that wall Mm -hmm. But I really wanted to, you know, suggest that, like, while we're sitting here talking about principles and everything, everything in AA is a suggestion. Yeah, it's a suggestion. There is no hard and fast rule, and you come to things on your own time. I love to, because, you know, I often hear about AA or the program or any 12-step program, even any whatever, as a cult. And I have a friend who says it's exactly the opposite it is super hard to get in and it's extremely easy to just leave. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I think it's amazing because it's a place that we choose to be. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a place that helps us actualize ways in which to get well that I wish people outside of it like had access to. Yeah. Yeah. Which is part of why we're doing this is because it's like, it's not just alcoholics and addicts who can benefit from these principles. In fact, I think everyone can benefit from them. And I really think that like the nexus and people who are caught up in like woke world and like, um, cancel culture could actually really benefit from some of these ideas, but it is very much like take what, take what you need and leave the rest. Like that was always put to me. And it was like, you know, none of this is like a hard and fast like rule, but it's just a suggestion. And like, if it works for you, great. And if it doesn't, you can just like leave it and try something else, you know? For sure. Um, but I think that, yeah, being able to pray for people who have, you know, who have resentment towards or people who have harmed me has actually been really useful for me. Um, okay. So I'm trying to think what next we should talk about. Um, cause we keep hitting on so many different things in each of the things that I have brought up. Mm. Um, so 
I guess we've talked about this a little bit, um, and it's kind of come up, but I'm like, maybe we could just be a little more clear and define it for people. So what is meant when you say your side of the street? Well, my side of the street is understanding my part in conflicts, understanding what I am responsible for, what I am emotionally responsible for and in my actions responsible for. So for me, and (laughs) I've been doing so much therapy around this, um, for me, you know, I am not the direct cause of other people's feelings, right? Actions that I take may invoke in them feelings. And sometimes they are more direct than other times. It can just be, you know, like it is, it is very true that my behavior can trigger other people's trauma. That is a true thing, but it's also true that I am not the cause Mm -hmm. of said trauma. Right. So like understanding my part in an argument I have with a friend or like us being able to agree or disagree or whatever it is, it is directly me understanding what I'm, what I am putting out into the world and what I am responsible for. And I am, I like to think about it really my side of the street. I like to think about it most as emotional responsibility mm. and what I can claim as my feelings. And then my feelings are my feelings. Yeah. And they are not necessarily because of anybody else, but they do get brought up and sort of like stoked by the actions and the people around me. Mm-hmm. But of course this means that understanding that when I am upset with somebody, it is, my feeling of upsetness and it is not about necessarily their actions or provocations towards that. Okay. And Jay, what about you? Yeah, I think it's important to, uh, or like I have this, I have this like visual in my head when I think about it, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's like, you know, your, your neighbor across the street from you might have just like 17,000 trash bags, like in front of his house and fucking like a broken down car that he's never fixed and like a barking dog and whatever. But like, that's not, the dog is fine. <laughs> you know, but like tied up all day, fucking okay, like okay. a okay. tortured, starving okay, dog. A terrible you know? image. Okay. Yeah. He's a horrible neighbor. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, but that like, doesn't, that's not my side of the street. Right. Yeah. That's fucking his side of the street. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean you put out more trash and just be like that guy. Yeah. Well, exactly. Right. So it's like when I'm trying to figure out like what, you know, what to do about my street. Right. I have to think about the part of the street that I have any fucking control over. Right. right. Cause I can't go into his yard and tow his fucking car away or yeah. whatever. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, obviously the metaphor breaks down at a certain point because like there, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe you should rescue his dog. I don't know. But, uh, but it's really, it's sort of being like, okay, so like you're having a conflict with someone and let's say they've been like fucking really shitty to you. They were screaming at you. They were fucking saying, um, all kinds of things that weren't fair. They were like, whatever, you know, being very rude and, and difficult to get along with. Fine. All right. That's for them mm-hmm. to feel bad about if they want to feel bad about it. Yeah. What I have to feel bad about is maybe I responded by raising my voice or I was like, uh, I was short with them or I didn't give them the benefit of a doubt when they said something or whatever. And then I can think about that and I can be like, okay, these are the things that I need to take responsibility for zip, zap, zoop. Um, and I can, you know, I can, if I'm not on good terms with that person at the moment and it wouldn't make sense to like apologize to them, I could just tell my sponsor, you know, or I could even just like write it down in a little book and, and think about it by myself. And I can, I can resolve to in the future, um, try not to raise my voice when people are being like irritating or something, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah. And at no point is that like, I don't have to put up like a sign on my lawn that says I have raked my leaves. Right. No one needs to know but me. 
it's my business. Yeah. You know, um, and maybe my sponsors. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing that's interesting for me is like, I'm sure, I'm sure you both have had experiences like this, um, where you make amends, you know, for your part in things. Um, and you, you know, full well that the other person has a part, right? Oh my God. You're like fully aware, you know, and even there's been some situations where it's like, you know, looking at things objectively and fairly, I'm like, okay, my part was like relatively small compared to the other person. Like, I think that they actually have an amends to make to me. But like part of what we learn in, in 12 steps is like focusing on ourselves and focusing on our part and not, not like giving that amends with the demand that the other person is also ready to give their amends. Mm-hmm. I've actually been on both sides of this. So it's actually interesting. Cause it's like, I have made amends knowing full well that like, in all fairness, the other person owes me an amends. But of course I don't, I'm not talking about that because I'm here to make amends for my part, my side of the street. And so I make that amends, you know, they accept the amends and that's it. We move on, you know? Um, and some of those amends like have never come, you know, and that's fine because it's like, I didn't make the amends to them as like a weird bribe or something to like try to get them to make amends to me. It's like, that's their own journey. And like, maybe they'll get to a place where they want to make that amends. Maybe they won't, but I've cleared my side of the street. And I've also been on the other side of that where somebody made an amends to me and I actually owed them an amends, but I wasn't ready to make that amends. I wasn't aware that I owed them an amends. So I like happily accepted their amends and was like, great. So glad that that was, you know, dealt with. So glad this person made amends to me. Yeah. I've been in that situation. And then too. a couple years later, after like more therapy, more steps, I was like, oh damn, <laughs> holy shit, man. Actually, fuck. I owe this person an amends, you know? And then at that point I was ready. And so I like did the work and reached out to that person and was like, okay, here's my side of the street. And like, they accepted that amends. And so it doesn't always happen in, in real time. And in the same moment, cause people are like on a journey and sometimes, you know, it takes longer or whatever to, um, to realize whatever your part is. And sometimes people don't realize it. Um, and I also think like, you know, it's kind of, um, I really like what you were saying, DJ, cause it's like very like emotionally sober, like healthy boundaries stuff. And it's like, you know, cleaning your side of the street and taking responsibility for like your part does not necessarily equal repaired relationship. And it does not necessarily equal people not being mad at you, you know? (laughs) And like the people pleaser mentality is actually to take responsibility for the other side of the street. It's like to be like, I'm going to take responsibility for your emotional reactions to me. I'm going to take responsibility for your like wildly inappropriate behavior because I can't tolerate you being mad at me or disliking me. Right. And I think in, in cancel culture, we see this all the time where like, people take responsibility for stuff that's like wildly not their responsibility, for like, sure. but they're just doing it because they, they just want it to stop. Like they just want the, the cancellation and the harassment to stop. And so they're like, okay, I'm willing to take responsibility for something that like actually isn't my responsibility. And to me, I'm like, that's so dysfunctional. Um, I can't do that. I can't do it. It's unethical. I can't take responsibility for something that's not my responsibility. And it's not only is it like dishonest and like disrespectful to myself, but to me, I also think it's disrespectful to the other person because when you take responsibility for something that is not your responsibility, you actually rob that person from the opportunity to take responsibility, right? At least you're enabling them. You're, you're basically being like, you don't have to take responsibility for your part because I'll do it for you. Um, and therefore, you know, that could have been an opportunity for them to like look at their part, but it wasn't because they now feel like you're the bad guy and you've taken all the responsibility. Right. For sure. Um, and I think when I first came in, because I was such a people pleaser and I didn't know it, I really thought that the steps and like learning to take responsibility would mean that people wouldn't be mad at me anymore. And it actually turns out it's quite, that's not true. <laughs> it's like, 
that's really not true. And actually like the healthier that you get and the more that you're able to be like, actually this part is mine and I'm going to take responsibility for that. That part isn't mine. So I'm not going to take responsibility for it. People fucking hate that. They hate that. And they're going to get really mad at you about it because it's unacceptable. Yeah. They're really mad because they want you to take responsibility for their side of the street. And it's like, I'm not going to. Um, and that's like an act of like love for myself and for the other person, because it's like, it's, it would be very dishonest. Um, and like, dysfunctional of me to like take responsibility of for something that is not my responsibility. And yet it would lighten the load specifically of a person who is not at a place in which they have the capacity to do the work and grow. Right. And like, I see that happening again and again in interpersonal conflicts in which, um, you know, people may project ideas or like their emotions about a situation or about a person onto this sort of like larger sphere in which, another person must be held accountable. Yeah. And not only is it just like surface level, like, like back and forth bullshit, like nobody can grow mm-hmm. and nobody is offered a place in which you can have a developing and kind relationship, you know? And like, this is something that is really important for me and has been really important for me throughout all of um, the sagas that uh, perhaps have come upon us in the past years now. <laughs> Um, very respectfully, but like when I got sober, I lost an entire group of friends. Yes. I lost a, I lost, not a big group of friends, but maybe like 10 people. Yeah. And this was partly because friendship was of course about proximity yeah. and how we relate to one each other, one another in, you know, groups and, and individual settings. But I lost this group of people because I had, you know, been drinking yeah. and, uh, I was a dick, you know, yeah. I did something that was unacceptable to the group and I don't remember doing it. So I tried to go to amends, you yeah. know, and I wasn't, I wasn't in the program, like, right. you know, like whatever. And of course amends is something that non-program people know about as program and they don't, you know, right. newcomers really want to do right away. Amends. Yeah. Gotta say sorry because the guilt is so it's consuming. It's, it's like, it's making your skin crawl. You're like, I am a piece of shit. Yeah. You have no concept of, of your right size and your part yeah. and what that means. And that's why amends comes much, much later yeah. in the But I thought that making amends to these people would all of a sudden absolve me and I would get my friends back. But you know what? It it is not, it is not that way. Not only did my friends and some of them friends of 20 years, not only did they not want my amends, they just ghosted. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. I tried to reach out multiple times, whatever. And my side of the street is living with the fact that, you know, that's what I could do. I tried to reach out to my friends, my ex friends multiple times yeah, and they didn't want it. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what? I'm not going to harass them to accept my heartfelt amends. Absolutely. But you know what? It's like amends are for me. Yeah. Amends are for me. Like my side of the street is clean because that's where I fucking live. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, service is for other people. You know, it also helps me. Right. But like the way that you like do good in the world is through service. Right. Not by groveling when people are mad at you. Yeah. That doesn't help anyone, you know? And like, I don't know for me, man, like I just think about like when you picture in your head, like a wise elder, you know, like a, it's me. Yeah, I picture DJ Stack Daddy. Um, With no, the but, buns. Like, but like a wise elder, let's say like um, somebody's like grandma who's like a you know a really smart lady who's seen a lot of shit, and, and you can go to to like ask for advice. You know, if you imagine that lady, right? Um, and there's like. 
20 people who have surrounded her and they're like just accusing her of a bunch of stuff, some of which is made up, some of which isn't, you know, like, do you imagine her being like, um, oh, I'm so sorry for all of this, even the things that are made up and I just, I'll never do it again. Or do you imagine that wise older person being like, you know, I, I would love to take responsibility for like the things that I have done to harm you. Mm -hmm. Um, but the things that um, I haven't done, I can't take responsibility for, and it wouldn't be right for me to do so, you know? Um, and I, you know, I feel compassion for like the way that you're feeling, but like I, I can't and shouldn't take responsibility for things that I haven't actually done or that you've misinterpreted or misunderstood or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I will go forward, um, you know, thinking about um, what you've said here and, and I'll incorporate it into my life. Right. Like which of those things do you imagine? Right. Yeah. You imagine the latter, obviously. Right. Um, because that obviously makes so much more sense, but it's like, I don't know. Sometimes I think that we're, we're so cut off from like models of like, absolutely moral rectitude that like that aren't just like some weird pastor or whatever um that we and most of us don't go to church no, or whatever yeah we don't have anyway. like we're cut off from elders like literally yeah like what yeah like we just we have no idea what it would look like to be like a fucking thoughtful moral person you know and that's one of the things that i love about the fucking program man is it puts me in touch with elders and it puts yeah. me in touch with people who are thoughtful moral people yeah yeah and i think you know kind of going off of both you just said like it's interesting, right? There is this thing when people first come in, it's like a rookie move, right? Where people want to make amends immediately. And it's like very, um, it's, you're not supposed to do that. Right. Um, and it's like discouraged, but like if people don't yet have a sponsor, it's like, they've seen it on a movie or whatever, that like, you know, you're supposed to make amends. So people will go and make amends, but actually like amends is step nine, right? That, there's a lot of steps that go. And like these, these steps usually take a quite a bit of time. I was like over a year in the program before I started making amends. Right. Oh, yeah. And what's interesting is that like compare that to cancel culture, right? Even in cases where like somebody has done something wrong or they do owe an amends, they do have some responsibility that they need to take, you know, the way cancel culture works, the, the sort of like, um, the pace of it, you know, the way that it's immediate and it's yes, urgent. It right away. It's like right now, it's like someone just called you out and like you're expected now to, to like publicly make a statement like within like the next 24 hours, you know? Yeah, otherwise you're refusing accountability. Yeah, and it's like, that's so, it's so absurd, man. Like that's not how it works. Like actually getting to a place where you know what is yours and what is not yours is often a big process. You probably need to talk to people about it, like a sponsor, a therapist, like trusted friends. You probably need to pray about it. You need to like do some reflecting, you know, figure out what is actually yours. And then like, you really need to like figure out like what the hell, like what led you there? Like what changes do you need to make in terms of like ongoing? Um, because making an amends when you haven't changed your behavior is bullshit. Like nobody wants to be apologized for. And then you just go around and do the same thing. Right. If yeah, I'm like, totally. if I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry that like I got drunk and screamed at you. And like, I really regret that I did that. And the person's like, okay, accept your apology. And then tomorrow I get drunk and scream at that person. That's even worse, right? That if I hadn't apologized, right? It's like, that's even worse. So it's like, actually, like, amends comes when, like, you've done the work that you're, like, pretty certain that you're not going to do that again and that you're, like, aware of what you need to do to change your behavior in an ongoing way. Um, so, like, there's just so much prep work that needs to be done before you make amends. And so it's just, like, really absurd to me um, the way that, like, sort of, like, calls for accountability happen where it's like, we're just going to harass this person incessantly until they are accountable. It's like, that's just not how actual responsibility works. Um, I've had accountability explained to me by a therapist. Oh, wow. Interesting. And the therapist says that accountability <laughs> needs to be a territory upon two people meet mutually. 
mutually agreeing upon it and to benefit the relationship to see if they can actually repair and grow. It is not shame-based and it's not haranguing-based. Yeah. And, like, frankly, I mean, I feel as though there have, you know, there are situations in which call-out culture, like how it started to, you know, like voice concern, whatever. Absolutely. But if we think about the internet and the ways in which it works, like even the script for your apology. Yeah. You know, like, sure. Sometimes people do things that like don't look so hot on the internet. Right. Is that a fucking reflection of who they are and what they do and what they stand for and how they act in their daily life. Of course it isn't. Yeah. I don't know. Everything I do on the internet looks hot. <laughs> I mean, including you, Jeff. <laughs> but I mean, I think that's the thing is that, you know, um, the more you're distanced from this kind of like role of internet activism, that means like you have to post this much about this. Yeah. And then you have to post this much about this. Yeah. And then you will be capital G good. I mean, it's absurd. That has nothing to do with accountability. And like, would your wise grandma post on Instagram? Yeah. Or like, she would not keep a tab of like how many posts you're making about something. Like it's, it's pretty absurd. I would actually make an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just be really sure. But like, honestly, full disclosure, my first list of resentments was an Excel document. Wow. Okay. Very hundreds. thorough. Very thorough. Hundreds. Whoa. I'm but, like a ratty notebook type. Yeah. Like several I, notebooks. I have both. Okay. I have both now because I am a wildly um, rich and variable person. I did it on like loose leaf paper that I kept losing. Yeah, that's my worst nightmare. Reading that book like on the metro or something. Oh my God. It's like all the things that you've ever done that you regret. It's yeah. like really don't want that good enough there. Um, Okay, so I feel like that was a good um, explanation of um, your side of the street. So, okay, I'm going to drop a big one on you guys oh, now. Shit. You ready? Oh, shit. You ready for this? Yes. Let go and let God. I'll leave it to you. It used to be my most hated um, slogan in AA. First of all, because I was an angry atheist. I'm still an atheist, just not angry anymore. Um <laughs> Well, I'm actually, I'm still an angry atheist. I'm just, not, I'm just not really angry about being an atheist. Okay, you know? yeah. Um, I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah. Um, but I fucking love that saying now, you know? And for me, like, as an atheist, I basically was like, you know, as part of my as part of my serenity prayer shit where I have to figure out what I have control over, I was sort of like, I need to be an AA, so, or like a 12-step program of your choice. But, um, but I, um, but I don't believe in God. So, but what do I have to do then? It's my fucking responsibility to figure out what to do then, you know? So I have to figure out what God means for me, even if I'm an atheist, right? Because that's what I have control over. I can't change the entire program to not include the word God, right? Some people have tried it's, it's been complicated, you know, but like literally when I fucking like got into AA, I was like, I was like rewriting the fucking big book. I had like a notebook where I was like I rewriting mean, it where I was just like, this is politically incorrect. And like, <laughs> this has the word God in it. And this says he and, and whatever. And then eventually I was like, okay, this is not, this is not helping me be sober, you know? Um, and anyway, so I had to accept this and then I had to figure out what, what God means, you know? And basically the conclusion I came to is that like God is this, um, it's just this word that we have that is like a synonym for so many other things. It means so many fucking things, you know, and it's all kind of bundled into this one package. Right. And this is my personal opinion as an atheist. Um, it's all bundled into this one package, but that doesn't mean that that package is meaningless. It means that I need to sort 
out which of the original like other synonyms um, is being referred to anytime I see the word God, right? And so in the case of like let go let God, it's sort of like it could mean like a bunch of different things, but like it's let uh, let go and let things unfold the way they're all, we're always going to unfold with with or without you. You know what I mean? Um, because that is what God means in that context. That means the universe reality itself like happens and i can't control it you know yeah. there's like a very limited Excuse number of things me. there's a limited number of things <laughs> Excuse <that> me. <laughs> <laughs> but i just fucking can't you know if i'm fucking worried about what some other person who i'm not even in contact with is going to do or not do it doesn't change anything me worrying about it does yeah. not fucking change anything i have to let go and let God, you know, and it's going to sort itself out one way or another. And I do not have any influence over that. Um, and, and that's just reality, you know, and, uh, but it can also apply to like all kinds of other situations. I'm, I'm, I want to hear your thoughts, DJ. First things first. <laughs> <laughs> another slogan. Yeah. Ruby Rose has like, oh my God, tattooed on their body. Okay. Which I love. Okay, great. Um, Classic, those 12 step tattoos, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, serenity and cursive writing, like across your chest or something. It's like so classic. Um, an, old, an old friend who I used to do many drugs with, okay, many different drugs with, had do not resuscitate wow. across their chest. I was like, that is. That's a bold move. That is a bold move. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think that, I think that let go, let God is. You know, I, I echo a lot of things that let Jay was saying here just because, you know, I have issues with it, with the semantics of it. You know, when I came in, I was just, you know, I was like the queer police and I was like, how am I supposed to relate to this? And, you know, I just, I found it really hard to read, read the literature and relate to that and all of that. But now having let go of some of those hangups because I have to, to be healthy because I have to, to even try and get a chance at feeling serenity at any point in my day, my life in the years to come, I have to let go and accept that things are going to be the way they are. And that doesn't mean that I'm a fatalist. And I think this is where like a Mm. lot of like queer quote unquote intersectionality and like, you know, like praxis lets us down so thoroughly mm-hmm. in the academy and in the real world and on the internet and in cancel culture, whatever. And even in the land of, of zines and poetry, <laughs> but like we are constantly um, being assuaged with this idea that like individual capitalist movement will help us determine our future. And we can make a difference by posting things on Instagram mm-hmm. and we can make a difference by only buying things at local craft fairs and stuff. And of course, you can make a difference if you buy all your stuff at local craft fairs. That's great. And it really helps artisans around you. It's fucking fantastic. But also you have to learn how to divest yourself from like actual systems that we live under that hurt us, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that I, I love the concept of letting go and letting God because it helps me maintain the thing that like, I have this image of me, like me, but then zooming out and I'm just one tiny little blip Mm -hmm. on the face of the planet. And remembering that I am in relation to the universe that I live in. And that in and of itself helps me connect with my higher power, which is not sky daddy. It is, you know, like the psychic energies of the universe that align us with, uh, for like a force of movement towards good, Mm -hmm. towards peace and towards what we call in the program, the next right thing. Mm -hmm. I know that that force is going to help me to get there. And it doesn't have to be God. And I don't have to believe that there's a fatalist 
there's a fatalist underlying to that saying, because I think what it is, is just remember where you are and what you are, you know, is, and here I am a socialist who is also working in a capitalist world and it's Mm -hmm. really hard. Yeah. And I can't control stuff. Yeah. And that makes me frustrated, especially as an alcoholic and an addict who still identifies that way is because I know I'm much closer to my next drink than I am to my last. Yeah. Yo, for sure. Yeah. Um, I want to say too that I really think like a huge part of what it means to be in the nexus, what it means to be like so-called like woke or like a social justice warrior or whatever um, is this. And, and I, I can say this because I've been there. I've been there. Is right? that why you can say this? Yes, that is. It's my lived experience <laughs> um, is a huge part of it is caring, like just, just caring though. Not, not necessarily like acting in any particular way, but caring in this very deep way about these issues of the capital I, right? And also and, recognizing and acknowledging. And also recognizing and acknowledging, but especially caring, you know, and you got to just care with all your heart. Um, and it was like extremely liberating for me to be like, well, caring doesn't change anything. Um, it's not like good or bad or whatever to care. Like you should, you should care about things, uh, you know, things that matter, matter, but like just caring by itself doesn't change anything. And the more you care, it does not change how little it doesn't change anything. You know, um, what does change things is like organizing in your community or like, you know, um, volunteering or like, you know, starting an organization or whatever it is, like those things have material change in the world. Right. Um, and I, I think that that also relates to like, let go and let God, where I'm just like, you know, certain things, man, that suck about the world. I gotta let go. I, I can't control them, you know? Um, and, and, and holding on to the idea that like my psychic energy can change them is bad for me, you know? And I don't, whatever, I'm, I'm agnostic about like the possibility of like, you know, magic and stuff and like prayer, um, in the sense that like, I'm not whatever. I, I think that like they can be good. Right. But I, I don't think that like me personally, like just, torturing myself over a given issue really is like likely to make much of an impact, you know, Mm -hmm. what do you think? Um, yeah. I also think like prayer can be like a healthy stand in for that kind of energy instead of like just caring all day. And like, you can just put it in a prayer and then go take the next right action. You know, I think it's like a way of using that energy instead of just like obsessively scrolling and posting about it, you could like pray and then you've done the symbolic action and now you go do the material action. Um, but for me, like, I don't know. I'm so different than the two of you. It's really funny. I was not woke when I arrived at uh, the doors of the 12 steps. I was not woke at all. So I had no issue with any of this. I was like, God, absolutely. Like I was just like, I did not have any issue with it being like a a Christian God. Cause I didn't believe in a Christian God. Like there's no way I would believe in that. But I was like, this is clearly a metaphor for like what I do. The goddess. Yeah. um, But okay. Can you stop making jabs? Um, (laughs) That's like really not helpful but um yeah like I was really into it and um basically um I mean my first one-year medallion had the word surrender on it and like I really think that like surrender was like such a huge positive like spiritual tool for me that like really meant a lot um and I don't know like there was a thing that I used to say a lot when I was first um 
when I was first getting sober and then like as I had a bit of time, which was that like basically like once I had like a, a couple years or whatever, you know, and I would think back to like when I first got sober and I was like, if I was at that time somehow granted the magical power to just like totally control my life and like make, make outcomes happen for me. Right. That like the life that I would have would not be as good as the life that I have today because it would have been designed by a person who was like three months sober and was like very (laughs) unwell. Right. And was like very unwell and like, didn't know like all of the things that were possible and like all of the things like that were coming, you know, like I didn't know what future Clementine was going to be like. And I didn't know, you know, sometimes it's like the relationship with the unknown is like what produces like these incredible results that you couldn't have, you couldn't have planned it, you know? And like, I've seen that over and over again in my life even though I keep trying to revert back to control and being like, no, I know how I want things to turn out. So I really need to like manage things and control things so that they're turned out in this very particular way. And if they don't turn out that way, or like, I'm not able to manage and control things. then I see it as like a failure, you know, um, which is like a classic behavior for addicts, but I think it's also probably a pretty human thing. Um, and one of the things I'm thinking about with this, um, you know, I've had a realization about it recently, which is just that, you know, avoiding getting canceled used to be a huge priority of mine. I used to be hyper-focused on not getting canceled. I used to like, you know, try to control the things I said and make sure I posted the right things and never posted the wrong things. And like, just do like basically whatever was expected of me to not be canceled. And I, I poured a lot of energy into that because, you know, nobody likes to be publicly humiliated and shamed on the internet. Obviously nobody wants to lose their friends. Nobody wants to be, um, you know, subject to ridicule, um, et cetera, et cetera. But also like as a writer, as somebody whose like career is like tied to like my reputation, like it was like pretty, uh, frightening to me, you know, because like, I really care about being a writer. Um, and so like avoiding getting canceled was like such a priority. And that's like being in a place of control. Like I, I must control the outcome. I must never let myself get canceled. And then what happened? I got canceled. Right. Um, and what's funny is that for me, I had a realization similar to like I did in early sobriety where I'm like, holy shit, man, the things that have come out of my cancellation, the positive things that have come out of my cancellation are actually some of the things that I always wanted that were so out of reach for me, which is more secure attachment in my relationships, like real community that I can actually trust and not have to like constantly censor myself around like more confidence and a sense of spontaneity. Um, so that I'm not constantly like hypervigilantly watching everything that I say and do. And I actually feel like I can just sort of be myself naturally and like, whatever, like this is like fucking gold for people with PTSD. Like these are some of my recovery goals that I was like totally unable to reach. Even though I was trying and trying for fucking years, I was still really stunted in these certain areas. Getting canceled fucking sped up my recovery in like crazy ways. Um, and it means that today it's like the, the relationships that I have, the life that I build, they're so much more grounded in my integrity because I'm not fucking afraid of bullies anymore. And I'm just like living in my truth. Right. I would never have made a podcast called fucking canceled, you know, absolutely not, you know, and now I'm doing that and it feels great. So again, I'm like, huh, like, like, let go and like God kind of also means like you can't control everything, but like when you sort of like let things unfold and you're in like a dynamic relationship with that unfolding, the things that can come out of that can actually be like surprisingly better than the things that you yourself could have planned by like, you know, micromanaging everything. Um, Yeah, for sure. And that's definitely like the, the most sort of like religious or, or woo that I get is that I do believe that like letting God take care of things like often ends with like very good outcomes, you know? Um, 
rather than trying to control yourself because like you're if you're anything like me you're like a crazy person who is not good at controlling things and should not be charged of anything <laughs> i mean i think that's i think that's like deeply true for so many people who you know come into any 12-step program it's because uh we can't live we don't know how to live we are on the brink of death we are often faced with what a lot of people call a, like a moment of clarity or you know like things just get so so bad you hit a low bottom which like means that you you see you see what you're doing you see what you're doing to yourself and maybe the people around you as well and i think that um this idea even of prayer even like some of the basic ideas that we've touched upon seem so ludicrous to people on the outside of recovery because they are stuck in this like feedback loop of their own pain yeah yep. and uh the idea of having compassion for somebody who hurt them in it whatever small or major way seems like it would wound them further and i think that i i've been seeing that you know more and the idea that, you know, if you've suffered it all in your life, you wouldn't be behind this idea around compassion or letting go and letting God, because you right. are in a hypervigilant state. You need to have that control, but that in and of itself is way outside of humility, way outside your actual sphere of influence as a human being. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's super unbalanced to try and do that, you know, yeah. like even an experience with people who, you know, are disapproving of my behavior or whatever and yet still try and control my actions like i know for a fact that that's you know that's very upsetting to me and i try to not be resentful about it but it's you know it's hard and i have to work towards it but like to think about being the other person who is trying so desperately to control the actions of other people around them yeah you know yeah. that's that's a frozen loop that is a space in which they're not able to have the capacity to learn to grow yeah which is something that i'm super grateful for every day yeah like letting go of like people pleasing micromanaging all of that like i get it man it's such a hyper vigilant hyper vigilance response of like i'm trying to keep myself safe by like trying to control like but yeah um so much more freedom opens up when we stop trying to control the things that we actually can't control and start focusing on the things that we can control um and yeah. strangely enough there's a lot of fear behind that too yeah which is um, it's understandable. Yeah. But you, when you open up, when you get vulnerable in that way, that's where the goldness. Yeah. Yeah. And all this is reminding me of this and also the love your haters thing, like in conjunction is reminding me of like the, 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 of like the socialist program, right. Where, I don't know. I'm just thinking about how, like, if you are trying to like make someone be like less homophobic or something, oftentimes you're bashing your head into a wall, man. It's very hard to get people to change their minds. There are ways to do it, but yelling at them is usually not one of yeah, them, you not. know? Um, but you can be the queer that like fought for them to keep their housing. You know what I mean? And that actually like does do good in the world in an obvious way, you know? Um, and, and maybe if they find out that it was you, they might be less fucking homophobic, you know, but it's, it's this thing of like loving people who may not love you back, you know, just because it is the right thing to do. Um, and also accepting that there are certain things that you cannot change and people is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And also like, I don't know. I mean, I think in terms of like 
prejudice and like bigotry and things like that. Like a lot of it comes from ignorance and not being in relationship. Right. So like creating, like if we had real communities and like solidarity and people realize that like a queer is like a person and not some weird stereotype that you have in your head. And you actually like, you know, we're like working alongside someone in your union or whatever, who's like a fucking queer. And then maybe you might be like, Oh shit, man, this person's not so bad. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree that like yelling at people is like not, not the way to do it. Um, okay. So we've covered a lot. There's just like two more things that I want to touch on. The second one is like kind of a big one, but we'll just touch on it. But the first one, maybe we'll just briefly talk about this. Cause I think it's, um, I think it's like an interesting one and it's like not an official, like, you know, a lot of these things are like not official like steps or anything. They're just kind of like things that people say in 12 step programs or like that somebody once said at a meeting and it sounded really good. So everybody just repeated it. Um, <laughs> it's such a thing, right? Yeah. I don't um, know. I love sloganeering. Yeah. It just to some of the, there's like official slogans and there's also just ones that like, I don't know where they came from, but like people repeat them all the time. There's also right? like regionally specific. Yeah, exactly. That, like you go to other places and they say it as if it's like a thing. Yeah, like, what the fuck? Exactly. <laughs> it's cool. Um, but anyway, so this one is, is one that I really like and I think it's relevant to the podcast. So I thought I'd bring it up. Um, what people think about me is none of my business. Love it. Thoughts, feelings, concerns. <laughs> I mean, it triggers this like deep, deep fear in me, you know, yeah. like, like as a kid who was, you know, how shall I say, um, like physically different looking and weird and withdrawn. Um, you know, I learned to care a lot about what people thought of me because being, being the child of an alcoholic and an, and an otherwise neglectful parent, you know, you, you learn how to people please yeah. because it's the only way, you know, your safety is going to be guaranteed. Absolutely. And, um, of course I think most people within, you know, woke world and, and queerlandia as Kai Jang Tom says, and like all of this, all of this stuff, um, we grow up with these, you know, this baggage from childhood, which is like no, no surprise to any of us. But what can be surprising is how much it works on a deep visceral level, you know, 30, 40 years later, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. how much is still connected to that. So when I think about what other people think about me is none of my business, like, (laughs) but I, I could be so much more attractive to this person if, you know, and that for me has played out in ways in which I have friendships, I have other relationships like in the program and outside where I will try and overcorrect for other people's emotional responsibility. Right. It's like if I said a thing to a sponsee that I then apologized about like three times yeah, and, uh, it's still an issue. Yeah. I can't do that anymore. Yeah. It is no longer my thing because I, admitted where I was at and like, I was like, okay, I see what wrong I did there. And I've apologized. Yeah. And that's it. And what, what other people think about me, you know, in relationship in the real world or on the internet, it's not, (laughs) it's not going to be anything that I can take charge of. And all I can do is, is be the person that I am. And if you know me in real life, um, I don't know, like, you might have a bad impression about me. You might have a good one. You might know that I really like to bake and it's cannot true. eat gluten. It's true. <laughs> so like, <laughs> you know, and what people think about my baking habits <laughs> is not my responsibility. Just like if they think that I'm a, you know, I'm a good queer and trans professor of our history. Also not it. You know, yeah. I listen to student evaluations and some of them, are whack and I have to be like, okay, this is not about me. Yeah. 
It's true. And like being able to discern the difference between like feedback um, that could be useful and that you can like maybe be like, oh yeah, I'm integrating some of this feedback um, versus like, you know, just like people projecting and people talking shit. I think it's like, it's a, it's a skill to learn how to do that discernment. Um, but yeah, Jay, did you have something to say about this? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's, there's a, there's an interpretation of this saying, like, if you take it too far, that is like way too individualistic for me, like in the sense that like, we're, we're, none of us like exist alone in a bubble. Right. And, and actually what people think about us, like is extremely important. It's, it's sort of like our entire social world. Yeah. And we're social animals. Yeah. And, and so we do actually need at least some people to think, think highly of us. Right. Um, and so basically I'm like, don't, don't take it like too far or like, don't, don't make it your entire philosophy or whatever. Um, you know, there's, there's limits to every metaphor. Right. Um, but that being said, yeah, my old roommate used to say something that would crack me up every time. And she was always like, uh, if, if someone doesn't like me, that information is far more important for them than it is for me. Right. you know, um, and, and I think that's so true. It's like, if you don't like me, like, don't be around me. That's yeah. fine. That was always allowed as yeah. they say in Rick and Morty. Um, like you, you just like you literally like, it's fine. You know, um, you don't have to talk to me. You don't have to be around me. You don't have to like me. You can unfollow me. You can unfollow yeah, me. You have that power. You know, you have that, we have that technology. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That, that drives me wild though. That's the thing is that, uh, in cancel culture, you don't unfollow that person that you don't like. You collect the information. No, you yeah. Them. Yeah. <laughs> them. You follow all the people that they follow. Yeah. And um, you just become this like menacing cloud on the periphery <laughs> of this person's yeah. like existence. Yeah. And it seems like a recipe for just just deep despair. Yeah. Deep despair. Mm-hmm. And I am I am I am so uninterested in living in despair. I lived in despair for many, many years and I don't need to do that anymore. Yeah, I'm over it. I am, I am done with that. I want to have joy and pleasure and all of the good things in my life that I've worked for the past six years to cultivate in recovery. Mm-hmm. And this is an extremely important thing to me because I'm finally starting to feel free. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's like if someone feels like I've done something to hurt them, that information is important for me. Absolutely. So that I can not do it again. Yeah you know, or so that I can, uh, you know, figure out how to change my behavior if it was, if, if, if there was a problem with it or something like that. Right. But yeah, like just what somebody thinks about me in general, that's, that's their fucking business, man. Yeah. It's their fucking business. Yeah. You know, it's just like what they think about fucking, um, samosas or like fucking their favorite movie. If they, if they ever want to visit Georgia or whatever the fuck, yeah. you know, it's their fucking issue, man. You yeah. know? Um, and like, I don't know, whatever, obviously like some like personal beliefs or whatever are more harmful than others and everything. Um, but you know, yeah, in general, like what somebody thinks about me is their fucking problem. And, and it is extremely threatening because like, I think so much of our energy goes into trying to make sure that people do think highly of us. But similarly to what Clementine was saying, I think like if you do kind of get canceled and like some, if the cat's out of the bag and some people have said some really nasty shit about you and uh, you figure out who your real friends are and whatnot and who's, who's loyal, and who's not like, it does really change things because all of a sudden you, you don't really have to worry about that so much. You know, it's like, 
your reputation's fucking shit anyway, so whatever, right? Um, yeah. And then you can really just focus on like being kind to the people around you and trying to do the next next right thing rather than trying to do the next like popular thing or, or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I think like we are social animals. And so like, obviously, you know, the sort of connection that we feel to other people is like really important. Like we require relationships to live. We evolved that way. But in terms of like our evolution as social animals, that's like talking about like 20 other people max, you know, it's like, what 20 other people think about me is important. Like my family, my close friends, my, my crew. Right. But now we've extended this to like thousands and thousands of people, like with social media. Right. right, right. And like, we were never evolved to sort of like met to like be on good terms with thousands of people, you know, like it's important to have close, meaningful relationships where you're accountable to each other. Um, but like, that's not the same as like a reputation on like a, a global scale or whatever. Um, not everybody has to deal with that. I personally do, <laughs> you know, but like, yeah, like what some stranger thinks about me because of some shit that they heard. For sure. And like, I mean, I think that like, even if you don't, if you're not uh, like a famous Instagram person or whatever, like if you're part of a, a scene in a yeah. big city, whether it's like a music scene or totally. like the queer scene or whatever, it's a similar thing, right? If you're on social media or whatever, there's like, and, it, and you live in a big city and you're in a scene, then there's like thousands of people who are like tangentially related to you in one way or another who like have fucking opinions or might have an opinion about you. Right. And that's, it's a similar thing. And how the fuck could you possibly be on good terms with the wall? It's impossible. Yeah. You know, and would, and would be weird. <laughs> yeah. And also when people are forming their opinions, you know, based on like second and third hand information, it's like, okay, like, you know, yeah, it has sure. nothing to do with like anything that actually happened between the two of you. Yeah, and you can't control it. I mean, I think that that's that's part of the reason why uh, being older helps me in this experience. Yeah. You know, because um, I was popular in high school because I was a slut. Okay, classic. Yeah, and it like it wasn't a true popularity. It was like this deep desire to get any kind of love that could come my way because I was so starved and so self-loathing. And so like, yeah, I always like could, I could get around cause you know, like I was, you know, fucking everybody. And, and that was terrible for me at, at this point in time, 37, I have so little interest in being good gossip to people. Yeah. Because you know what, I would rather, I would rather cultivate relationships around me. And like the relationships I lost when I got sober, what really hurt was that I felt like I did when I was a teenager. I was like, these people aren't really my friends. Yeah. These people don't actually care about me. And that sense of betrayal, although I did a lot to engender the dislike they had towards me. Um, it, there was no availability to make any kind of amends or, or reparation of the relationship because they just counted me out. Mm -hmm. And instead now while being, you know, like growing my unpopularity by the day, because I don't think that large scale internet bullying is useful. Yeah. What the fuck DJ? I, I know it's a bit of That's a worm We're canceling you right on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> fucking classic. But the thing about it, it, like, it's really interesting because being outside of it, not having like, it's so much of a social media platform because I've been working on my doctorate. I don't care. I don't know the energy for Instagram. It's so legit. It's so legit. But like being around this kind of idea where people are coming at my friends yeah. And like knowing the backstory and seeing the screenshots and all the stuff, not only does it seem like some fucking alternate universe in which popularity and good gossip is like what you need to stay on top of. Yeah. 
it's just, it's unfounded. And I feel like all of this stuff is coming from people's, you know, that, that cycle that people are trapped in where they are wounded. They're deeply hurting. Yeah. And that is not unreal. And there is true that like people who get called out, who have done serious and legitimate harm. Yeah. Like they need to be accountable. They need to actually talk to people they've hurt. Be like, I have really hurt you in this way. And I'm showing up to this. Yeah. So that we can either repair our relationship or you can get some kind of closure. But that's not what's happening on the scale of what happens in general cancel culture. Yeah. I'm hearing all the time, oh, I hate the excuse that it's cancel culture and like people's concerns aren't being brought up. And I'm like, well, let's be real about it. It's not a concern. It's not legitimated. <laughs> it's yeah. gossip. Yeah. And it's people's Absolutely. feelings, wounded feelings that so are being projected outwards. That yeah. actually like leads us so perfectly into the, the last thing that I wanted to talk about, um, which I feel like is a really big topic that we could probably do like a whole episode on, but, but maybe we'll just touch on it. And I think um, DJ, you said a line that was like, so, um, so good when we were talking about this episode, which was like, um, like our shame is not a solve for your pain. Um, and yeah, maybe you could just talk a little bit about that. Cause I feel like you were kind of getting into it and just how people's own like trauma, their own like dysregulated nervous systems, their own unresolved stuff is like often sort of playing out in this cancel culture shit that we see happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot in terms of like my my personal relationship to cancel culture right now because I've been getting a little bit more outspoken about it because I'm kind of, you know, deeply fucking fed up with the idea that these very beautiful and good humans I know are being maligned for, you know, various reasons. I know the background of all of it, whatever. I, but I see it happening all the time. And while maybe some things they did weren't a good look, quote unquote, on the internet, the internet is a shitty platform to judge somebody. And I feel as though being a good friend and standing in my integrity is trying to be emotionally responsible for what's mine and what's, what's not mine and, and cancel culture, as we've talked about like so many times, like it does make you question your own judgment. You're like, what, like, what if my friend was really this shitty person or, or whatever, mm-hmm. but what I can do about that is I can, I can understand that when people like lash out, when people have, I don't know, I call it my unpopularity some, some person at this table has called it soft cancellation. (laughs) But I think that it's, it really shows you when somebody is so willing to project their own wounds so far onto you, you know, that, that either you recognize its absurdity or, or, you know, how far from the truth that it actually is, or you, you just see, you just see their trauma directly. Mm -hmm. And no matter if I capitulate to that entirely and be like, Oh, I protect white supremacists or I, whatever, whatever the shit that, you know, categorically is not true. Mm -hmm. Even my complete capitulation to that person's feeling, it will not, it will not heal their wound. Wounds need to be, they need to like have the, you know, like the gods pressed on them. They need to soak up all that blood. They need time to, heal themselves and that needs to be work that you do in a process of therapy in a process of of personal growth Mm -hmm. which we have had handed to us and we were 
you know, yeah. somewhat willing or totally willing to just, just take it for ourselves as like selfish human beings that want a path. And I needed that. And I needed the steps because it's a clear map yeah. to where I could be right-sized and where I could see what my trauma is so yeah. I can move beyond that in my relationships. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote an article, um, you know, I've talked about it a couple times on the podcast already, but the article in which I talk about, um, you know, calling my ex an abuser, um, when they weren't and like, you know, I think so often, like we are constantly throwing around this language of being trauma informed. Um, and I'm like, are we, do we even, are we informed by trauma? Do we know what trauma is? Um, because by its very nature, like by its very definition, like what trauma is, is it means having disproportionate emotional and nervous system reactions in the present that are actually based on things that happened in the past. Like that's literally what trauma is. Right. And with the current culture of just sort of like, you know, um, just sort of 100% validate and believe whatever, um, whatever people are saying that it's like a problem to question in any kind of way is not trauma informed, right? Because like survivors actually really need help discerning between what is currently happening and what happened in the past. That's like literally what the disability of trauma is, you know? And so like, you know, a person can be having a very real nervous system response. The, the response is real. The distress is real, but like how much of it is about, you know, this person, um, you know, that you're like mad about what they posted on Instagram and how much of it is about some other things that happened in your life that perhaps are like really, really distressing. Um, yeah. And like, you can see it all the time, right? Because I'm like, people's reactions seem like wildly disproportionate in cancel culture a lot. Um, you see people reacting in ways where it's like, wow, you're actually acting as if your life is in danger, but it's about something like so incredibly minor. Like you're mad about, yeah, like an Instagram thing or whatever. And it's like, that's very disproportionate. And to me, when, when people are acting with that level of distress, I'm like, it's pretty indicative that like, um, something else is going on. And I wish that we could have compassion for that and that we didn't, um, cause I'm like, it hurts survivors. Actually, it hurts survivors to not understand what trauma is and to not, um, acknowledge that like trauma survivors literally respond to the past all the time in the present, you know, um, it keeps us in these loops. It keeps us in these loops. Yeah. And I think that people feel really scared about that because they're like, Oh my God, well then we're just not going to validate survivors. I'm like, that's not what I'm saying, man. Like, you know, abuse still obviously happens, like fucked up things still happen, but there's a process of discernment that you should be able to go through with like trusted community and friends that help you sort of pull apart. Like what part of this reaction is about what's happening now. And what part of this reaction is about, you know, some other shit that happened in your life. Um, but how do you trust the community? And that's the thing, right? Because I mean, that's such an important question. Cause I'm like, so many of these people don't fucking have community. They don't have real trusted friends who are literally gonna sit down and do this work with them in a genuine way. Also, cause those people are afraid of getting canceled. You know, like if I think like as a person with complex PTSD, I resent it in the moment, you know, but like when a friend is able to kind of be like, Hey, Clementine, it seems like you're triggered. It seems like maybe this reaction is a bit disproportionate. Um, like I actually appreciate that because it means that I have, you know, at the moment I don't necessarily appreciate it, but it gives me a step back to be like, Oh wait, maybe this is like, you know, maybe I'm triggered and maybe I'm projecting onto the situation stuff that's actually about my past. And then I'm able to go talk to my therapist and like unpack some of that. But I actually feel like a lot of people would be afraid to say that to their friend because they're going to get accused of gaslighting and victim blaming and like, 
whatever, not centering survivors or whatever it is. Right. Um, so we have like a built in thing to like shut down the kinds of feedback that I think a good friend should be giving to their friends. I like to call that calm dissension. (laughs) And when you're calm descending, like, like if, if you're not reacting to a person who's triggered in the exact sheer level of force yeah. and intensity that they're like you, then you have no skin in the game. Then you are shutting them down. Then you're acting like a fucking patriarch. Or Tom policing. Exactly. And I mean, I think that there is a degree in which we can look at, uh, certain kinds of reflections that are not helpful. You know, like the classic example would be like, calm down, you know, like that shit. No, it's not helpful. And it can harken back to like different times when, you know, men would shut down the concerns of of women and like there were different gender dynamics and whatever. And there still are, but it doesn't mean it's the same thing. Yeah. And responding to somebody who's in distress with a calm, like, would you like a reflection? Yeah. Like, you know, like you can ask these questions and you can do it in a way that is really kind and, and, you know, does validate the fact that they are having feelings. Yeah. That is valid because if you're having a feeling and having a feeling that's not up for debate, but it also means that you can center growth and it means that you can work through and feel that emotion. Cause something about the 12 steps, which is so, so frustrating is, you know, the only way out is through. Yeah. And that means for me that I have to feel what I'm feeling for whatever it is, not rush through it. Yeah. And then accept that that's the feeling that I'm having. And that acceptance, that's where it's easy. I want to throw it on other people. Yeah. I'm going to be like, you did this to me. And you know, like my dad was an alcoholic. He was a bad father. That's not categorically true because I was lucky in a certain way that he wasn't a terrible father, except that he was drunk all the time. Right. And that's where like, that's where this idea of nuance and discernment can really help. It's like, yeah, I have trauma from that. Yeah. Does that mean that I was, um, you know, always in a violent situation? No, but we're not allowed to have nuance like that. Yeah. Because if we have nuance, then we are siding with abusers and protecting them and, and what have you, because everything, there is no good middle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I often think of the concept of like scapegoating and just like how it's like, you know, almost like with cancel culture, like people are like offered up as like almost like a sacrifice. Um, and, and by all of us projecting all of our anger and our pain, you know, from all the fucked up things that are happening into the world onto like this one person and we can make this one person responsible for all of it. And if we take that person down, you know, then like we've sort of solved, you know, whatever, all of this horrible shit that's happened in our personal lives and like in our collective and like, you know, that idea that like that person's shame is going to be a solve for our pain that like actually like hurting that person and holding that person responsible, not just for like even what they've been accused of, but for like something so much bigger, like this huge amount of pain that so many of us are carrying. Um, and I'm just like, it doesn't work, man. Like, it doesn't work. It might give you like a brief feeling of satisfaction, but at the end of the day, like it didn't actually resolve that earlier trauma. It doesn't actually solve these larger, um, issues. I mean, it's almost, I'm going to be that like total cheese ball me. Like it's kind of like taking a drink, you know, it's like, it doesn't get rid of your feelings. Yeah. It's like a temporary fix. Yeah. It like, you know, they'll come back full force tomorrow. No problem. And you'll feel like shit because of it. And like, that's it. Is it, it's a, you know, anger is that dubious luxury. 
Um, it doesn't mean you don't get angry. I get angry. I definitely feel anger, but it doesn't mean that I can live in it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about, um, you know, people who have like badly hurt me in the past. And I mean, like physically, like kick the shit out of me, you know? Um, and there was this like one guy in particular in my early twenties when I was hanging out and like at the fatale all the time with like cross punks and shit, getting wasted in the parking lot. Um, that used to, he like punched me out a couple times and would like basically like bully me. Like he would, he would just like seek me out and like fuck with me. Right. And sometimes like hurt me badly. Um, and he was like a minion of, of, uh, this kind of like gangster type who like ran the like illegal booze distribution mm. down there, um, at that time. And whatever, he was like a real piece of shit, man. And I fucking like hated that guy and I, whatever, I guess I still hate him, you know? Um, but also I was thinking about like whether or not him feeling shame would like solve my wounds, you know? Um, and it's like, I think I strongly suspect that he was filled to the brim with shame at all times Mm. and that there was like literally no room for more shame about what he was doing to me to like even like enter, you know, because he was like not a nice guy and people did not like him. They were afraid of him and he had no one, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's like a horrible, lonely, like terrible, like hellish place to be actually. Um, and I pity him like a lot, you know? Um, which, you know, it's taken me like a lot of years to get to that point. Um, because that guy like scared the shit out of me and like, you know, would like call me a faggot and like all this kind of shit, you know? Um, and would like scare like girls that I was hanging out with and like, it just was like a shitty like guy. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I don't think that like him feeling shame about what he did to me would like help me feel better. And I actually really hope, and eventually he got run out of town, actually like him and the fucking other guy that he kind of like worked for both got run out of town for the stuff that they did. And it was like, I guess they were like canceled because people did like circulate pictures about them and stuff, but it was really like an, it was like intervention into like active ongoing, like violent harm that they were committing to people on like a regular basis. Um, that was, and that's like the part that matters. Like people were like stopping like ongoing harm and removing them from the position of power in the Mm -hmm. community. Right. Because they were like running this like illegal bar and shit. Um, and, uh, and roofing people and all that kind of stuff. Um, but like, basically the point of that is that I, and he got run out of town and I hope that he is somewhere in like Winnipeg or some shit. Um, that he found like a job where they would hire a guy with like a stupid face tattoo and that he like has like a couple friends and maybe is even like sober now or something like that. And is sort of like has moved on from that stage in his life and is like living a life where maybe hopefully he like contributes positively to the world in small ways every day, you know, and that would make me feel much, much, much better than the idea of him somewhere like in jail or like really ashamed or like, uh, dead on some fucking train track somewhere or like whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't make me feel better at all. That just makes me feel sad because that's just horrible, you know, like shame blocks people's capacity to actually feel true remorse. Right. Um, because when we're so full of shame, like we don't even have enough integrity or self-dignity to truly feel remorse for the things that we have done that we regret, you know? And like, I actually think that expressions of remorse are extremely meaningful and can be corrective or help people's healing. I also think that people can heal even without those expressions of remorse because many of us never get them, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't think that shame actually leads us towards the kind of healing that any of us need. So, um, okay. Well, I feel like we kind of like, that was like my last, my last thing I wanted to talk about, but that was like a pretty, pretty heavy hitter. Um, 
Is there anything else that either of you wanted to to say about 12 steps and, and how this all fits together? Any tiny nuggets of wisdom? I don't know if it's wise. Okay. <laughs> is it a nugget? It is a nugget. I mean, maybe. I, I just, I feel like you know, sometimes we like, we can sit around and we do, we talk like about the stuff all the time. It's, it's wild. And I think life and recovery sounds really kind of mystifying from the outside sometimes. And I just kind of wanted to put it out there that, you know, sometimes it is a spiritual transformation that happens really fast, but sometimes it's just like, like what we say on the program, it's like doing the next right thing, mm -hmm. you know, day after day after day. And it takes a long time to live in your integrity. And I think in this world, we're not really offered that we have, I think I said to somebody, um, a while ago that we were talking about cancellation and stuff and, and they were really concerned that like people's real hurt and, and concerns wouldn't be, uh, you know, spoken about and discussed if we just kept blaming it all on cancel culture. And uh -huh. I'm like, well, look, you know, I think that people's concerns can be discussed, but like, it means that people will have to be willing to listen that's the thing is that we're not really offered much. It, we have these slim avenues under capitalism by which to discuss and critique. And it all moves towards a binarized language where you're good or you're bad, or, mm -hmm. you know, like you're a good queer or you're a bad gay or, or, you know, and th there really is that divide too. And it just, it seeks to further splinter us into different groups. And, and what I get from recovery all of the time, if I'm living in my gratitude, which is another recovery thing, it's like, I do make gratitude lists and it sounds like really stupid, but it helps me keep mm -hmm. where I'm at in this larger world. Like I just, I feel like the further we go and inflate ourselves into this like ego maniacal being or somebody who is like a piece of shit, totally worthless, whatever further into that self-obsession on either side completely limits us from actually having any transformative effect in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas if we're talking about things and offering people like reflections, if they're in distress and in, in like a triggered trauma response, like offering a reflection is condescension. Right. Whereas screaming at somebody is like transformative justice. And like that, that seems, that seems like a wild concept to me at this point, you know, but I, I just feel as though, you know, maybe, maybe program stuff is hard to grasp from the outside. It took me years to start praying but it's just really, it's just like sending a little like hope up into the universe that people will feel well and be well. Yeah. And I think that that's really attainable in a lot of ways. You don't have to be in recovery to access these amazing no. principles of, you know, like right-sizedness and like knowing where you are and, you know, honestly also getting off the internet. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> important too. Yeah, for sure. Well, I don't really have much else to add um, other than that uh, if you like our podcast and you want to support us, you can check us out on uh, Patreon. It's patreon.com slash fucking canceled. Um, and also that if you want to send us hate mail, you can do that at uh, fucking canceled at gmail.com. But there's no you in fucking because they wouldn't let us. And there's two L's in canceled because we're Canadian. Yeah. Um, and DJ, is there anything that, you know, um, cause you're not very online, but like, is there anything that you want to plug for yourself anywhere people can find you or like, if they want to know more about your work and your writing, like what should they do? Um, well, <laughs> after all, after all my Instagram 
TikTok. My Instagram is at chaotic heartburn. Okay. And, uh, I don't know. There's, <laughs> I don't, I don't actually do much on the Instagram okay. because I followed all these baking. Okay. Great. Accounts. And now I can't eat anything. I'm on this like gut health thing. So I don't know. I won't be posting for a while. Don't look me up. I'm not popular. I mean, we'll we'll tag you. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for coming on, DJ. Yeah. Thanks for oh, thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. I love being part of Cancel Club. Je suis un OG